to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to episode 71. Now, we've created so many episodes now that I actually lost track and wrongly introduced the last one as episode 69. So maybe this is a good time to take stock and introduce a couple of changes to keep things fresh. And also to say thanks for following the series from a little idea three years ago. This has developed into probably the best followed Scottish business podcast with a roll call of outstanding guests and thousands of listeners across the world, demonstrating the strength of the Scottish diaspora. So what's happening? Well, firstly, I have a couple of guest interviewers who will be taking my seat for some of the episodes going forward. More to follow on that in September. Secondly, as regular listeners know, most of the episodes that we do are interviews with big personalities from the world of Scottish business, talking through the lessons and experiences of their lives to date. And we know from your feedback that the approach is very popular. But we are also going to introduce a couple of new approaches for occasional episodes. I'd mentioned the Scottish diaspora, and that's one of the themes we're going to look at, chatting to some particularly interesting examples of Scots abroad, hearing about their life overseas and getting their perspective on the old country. And secondly, we're also going to pull in a few experts to take a look one by one at the key sectors of the Scottish economy. Indeed, that's what we're doing with this episode. In 2012, at the age of just 21, Aberdeen University student Blair Bowman created a global celebration of whisky called World Whisky Day, which I was fortunate to work on for a few years. The project continues to flourish. It's held on the third Saturday of May, and hundreds of thousands of people get involved. Meanwhile, Blair has gone on to establish himself as one of the UK's leading writers, experts, and consultants on whisky. Who better then to give us a fascinating overview of the current state of play in the Scotch whisky industry? I interviewed Blair on the 24th of August, 2021. Blair Bowman, it's wonderful to have you on the show. How are you doing and where are you speaking from? Hi, Fraser. I'm really well. It's great to speak to you. Um, and I'm in very sunny, sunny Edinburgh today. It's a lovely day here, isn't it? I'm finding it difficult to, to actually concentrate on my work today, I must admit. Um, let's get started because we've got a lot of ground that we want to cover. Uh, and I just want to find out, first of all, I mean, how did you become interested in whiskey in the first place? It's not, it's not often thought of a young person's drink. And what is it that fascinates you so much about it? Well, I guess in a nutshell, um, I went to Aberdeen, I'm from Edinburgh, I went to Aberdeen Uni to study languages, and it was in my freshers week, I saw two postgraduates standing next to a sign that said Whiskey Club. And I thought that's interesting. I'd, you know, I'd recently turned 18 at that point. Um, I had been drinking a little bit of whiskey before that point, um, and found it a very interesting spirit, didn't really know much about it, but knew that it was intrinsically, you know, Scottish. And, you know, there was whiskey in my home, but it wasn't like a big thing in my family. And it was really kind of signing up very naively to join that club. And I think the same day I joined the Spanish club and the French club and the, you know, every other club just to try and, you know, make a kind of social uh, kind of standing from the get go. And that was the one that really stuck. And it was, I think it was when we first started to visit distilleries, um, I learned very early on that single malt whiskey is made from three ingredients, water, malted barley and yeast. And they all use the same three ingredients, they all use the same processing, but they all end up tasting so like profoundly different. And I think that was what blew my mind a little bit, was like, how can this one from Isla taste like this, like medicine almost, and licking plasters? And this one from over here in Speyside tastes so sweet and fruity and delicate, and, but they use the same ingredients. So that was where I really got interested in it in a big way, I think. 
Blake, I first became uh, familiar with you when I saw you in the in the newspapers and on TV because uh, you became famous at quite an early age as the, the founder of something called World Whiskey Day. So tell us how that all came about and how the project grew so rapidly in those early years. It was quite fascinating, really. So I was studying abroad and living in Barcelona at the time and was working in a, a company doing their social media. And this was still kind of in the early-ish stages of Twitter and Facebook and so on, you know, so they were still in their infancy. And I was kind of brought in to kind of help them with their social media marketing. And I remember seeing one day the World Gin Day was a global trending topic on Twitter. And I was particularly interested in, you know, that was quite an interesting thing that it was a global trending topic and I'd never heard of it before. And I was much more interested in gin than in whiskey. And so I started to look for World Whiskey Day because I just assumed there would be one, couldn't find anything about World Whiskey Day. And the organisers of the Gin Day had worldginday.com. So I typed in worldwhiskeyday.com and saw that the domain name was available and had never been bought before. So I bought it very, very quickly for, I think it was like 12 euros or something, and just kind of started to kind of copy what the World Gin Day law had done, which was a, a very basic kind of Google map. Anyone was welcome to celebrate this day. They just had to register an event on the map and a little pin would appear. And then because it was still, I guess, in this early stages of social media, there wasn't so much need for you know social media advertising in the way that they make the revenue now. So things went viral very, very quickly and purely organically. So the fact that I'd kind of announced and kind of planted the flag and said, this date is World Whiskey Day, do something with whiskey on that date. It just spread through the kind of the online whiskey spheres very, very rapidly and much faster than I could have imagined. Um, and it just kind of took off and, and grew arms and legs before I knew what I'd kind of done. And World Whiskey Day continues uh today doesn't it it takes place every yeah, every May we, this year was the 10th year which I just cannot really get my head around because I was only 21 at the time when I bought that domain name and now it's it's you know I'm happy to say that it is pretty much cemented in the, the calendar of drinks events um, and does seem to have the interest of pretty much every major whiskey company in the world not just scotch whiskey and that was something I was always very clear out from the beginning that I was really trying to celebrate the whole category so Scotch and Irish and Japanese and Tasmanian and Canadian and everything in between every country that's making whiskey really and was really about being open and inclusive and as you said you know it was unusual for someone so young to be so into whiskey and it was you know back in 2010-11 it was still a little bit it was still sometimes a bit stuffy and I was trying to help kind of bring and recruit new drinkers into the category by doing stuff with cocktails and breaking down a lot of the myths and barriers to entry into whiskey. And that's kind of what's led me into, I guess, what I'm doing now. And it's all kind of happened quite spontaneously and serendipitously. Uh, and that initiative has proved a, a great route into your your, your career uh, because you're now very well established as a, as a writer, a commentator, a consultant. Can you tell us a bit more about what your job involves? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very, I do have to pinch myself. I'm very lucky. Um, Pre-pandemic, I used to, you know, have a lot of international travel where essentially I'd get paid to turn up at an event and drink whiskey with other people who were really always very, very interesting people. And I was there just to kind of help elucidate some of the tasting notes from the whiskies. And they were beautiful, you know, fantastic whiskies. So I feel very lucky that, you know, that was part of my job pre-pandemic was kind of being able to kind of share tastings and experiences with people around the world and, and here in Scotland. Um, but as well as that, helping kind of brands and helping new distilleries all around the world kind of set themselves up, help them kind of tap into the network that I've built myself within the kind of the world of whiskey globally over the past 10 years. So at the moment, I'm involved in quite a few consulting projects for new distilleries in Asia, uh, some new brand projects across here, 
Um, and then the other thing that I'm, I'm doing a lot of now is the, on the very kind of high end of the market with private clients that want to purchase whole casks of whiskey and have them bottled for themselves or help kind of private individuals build whiskey collections for the kind of future to drink and buying stuff today so that they can, you know, know that it will go up in value, but know that one day they'll be able to drink it and enjoy it when it's become extinct. So you're in a, a very good place, I think, to give us a little bit of a bird's eye view of what's happening in the, in the Scotch whiskey industry. So what would you say are the key challenges faced by the industry at the moment and what are some of the opportunities? Well, I think there's been a real tough couple of years for, for Scotch whisky. You know, there was there was a kind of attacked from all angles with Brexit. Uh, then there was the Trump tariffs and then we had coronavirus. So it was really quite a challenging time, but it seems to have kind of been Scotch whisky in particular is so used to the kind of ebbs and flows of the world because it's such a long term game. Um, the whiskey industry has been through very dramatic booms and busts throughout its you know whole uh, centuries of making whiskey. This has been normal, um, but it always seems to kind of weather the storm because the, the casks that are laid down now are not going to be consumed for at least three years by law, but probably much closer to 10, 12 or, or longer. So it really is just a matter of kind of keeping continuing to, to produce and in the meantime drawing down enough stock from the warehouses to keep up with the appetite of sales so it's always a kind of guessing game of what is the market going to be like in 10 years time from today but there's still a huge amount of opportunity i think um especially in the emerging markets where there's still a prevalence of blends because there's still this kind of misunderstanding that blended scotch whiskey still makes about 90 percent of all the sales of scotch whiskey around the world so Single malt whiskey is growing dramatically in terms of the value of it and the you know, the price of some of the whiskeys selling now, but it's still a very tiny, tiny part of the market um, as a whole. So I think in these countries where blends are the, the main driver of kind of Scotch whiskey, with a bit of education and probably quite a lot of serious kind of work on the ground in these markets from brand ambassadors and so on, that would help a consumer switch from playing, you know, 10 to, you know, $15 maybe, say, for a blended whiskey, suddenly paying double that for a single malt and explaining why they're paying that difference in terms of the quality and the price. So although the industry brings much to Scotland in business terms, most of the Scotch whisky brands are actually owned by overseas companies. Blair, could you give us a bit of an overview of who some of the big players are and how much of the industry is still Scottish owned? Yeah, there was actually an article very recently on this. Uh, I think it was in the Herald, and I was I was quoted as part of it. Um, so I was slightly annoyed how they took my quote out of context, but um, essentially, I believe it's about seventy percent of the the whisky distilleries that we have in Scotland are owned by overseas companies. Um, you know, there's a few significant big players, those being um, Diageo, which is you know obviously it's London based. Uh, we've got uh, Pernod Ricard based in France. Uh, we've got LVMH also based in France, uh, Beam Suntory, which is between the US and Japan. Those are the kind of the big players, really. There's still a few that are family owned and, and still quite big, like William Grant & Sons is a you know UK-based business, but it's owned by the family. Um, so there's still a couple like that. But I, I find it odd that this um, is seen as a kind of a threat or something negative. I, I think it's purely a positive thing. The fact that these distilleries are in pretty rural, isolated communities that support whole, you know, whole villages can all be connected some way or other to a distillery and all the workforce and all the, the trickle-down supply chain of you know, casks and, and everything in between mould, um, I, I think it's purely a positive thing, and especially the amount of investment that's been going into some of these areas. If Scotch whisky wasn't there, they're just these, these towns would have been drying up. You know, in the same way that when other sectors leave town, a whole community can be lost. Um, and I don't think that would happen with Scotch whisky because by law, as you know, we've got to make Scotch whisky in Scotland. And that's never going to change, even though the, the ownership might be based overseas. The whisky still has to be made here. 
is certainly a, a very important, valuable contributor to the Scottish economy. Do you think in that case that more should be done by the Scottish government or the UK government to support and promote the whisky industry in Scotland? Absolutely. And it's something I've been banging a drum off for ages and I'm probably sound like a bit of a broken record at times. But I find that uh, Scotch whisky is put in this really awkward position that is seen as a fantastic case study for export in terms of you know Scottish exports and UK exports. And it's you know seen as this kind of golden you know wonderkind of, of uh, exports because it's so successful globally, and for that reason, it doesn't get much support because they don't see the point in in supporting it. You know because it it does its own thing, and that's fine. But I I do find it a bit hypocritical at times when they then lambast it because they say you know how terrible alcoholism is and and all these other things that come with with whiskey um but at the same time i find it really odd that they don't champion it in the way that if this was made in another country in the world be it you know a local product of france or germany or spain or you know anywhere i imagine that the government who had that in their portfolio of things to talk about around the world would be shouting about it a hell of a lot louder than than we are and i think it's because they really decide to kind of take the back seat and just let the brands talk about it and not interfere with it because the the brands have multi hundreds of millions billions of pounds of budget to play with in terms of marketing and no matter what the government would put towards it, they wouldn't be able to market it in that kind of same level. And I think that's probably why it ends up in this kind of awkward middle ground of they like it, but at the same time, they, they don't like it in that sense, if that makes sense. It, it does, yeah. But interesting, I mean, you mentioned the issue of alcoholism there, and you strike a slightly negative note, that is a big issue for Scottish society. Do you think in that case the industry could be doing a bit more to tackle this and, and potentially getting the government more on board with some of their objectives by, by do, being seen to do that? Yeah, again, it's a really tricky, awkward situation for, for both sides because, I mean, we've had the whole minimum unit pricing uh, debacle here, which has eventually come to a conclusion, uh, which I don't know if has made a big difference or not. I'm not fully up to date on the research there. There's also, you know, still current lobbying going on about removing all alcohol advertising within Scotland, which would just be absolutely nuts to put it bluntly you know if you came from another part of the world to come to scotland the home of scotch whiskey and by law we weren't allowed to advertise it anywhere but back home in the country where you've traveled from you can have billboards and whatever it would make no sense so there is there is an issue for sure and that's been a generational issue that's been passed down for for many years here in scotland and the industry you know the scotch whiskey association have a, a fund an action fund that i think is around you know a good six figure sum every year goes towards charities that are actively dealing in this um, space and you know the wider whiskey industry and lots of charities associated with hospitality are doing a lot to support that side um, of things because it is a you know a damaging thing alcohol is a drug you know we can't get away from that it's just we're in a luxurious position where we can have these things within our lives it's not essential to life to have whiskey but there's a fine line between the balance of that um, so I think the industry could do more and I think it has been trying but I think it would be better if it was a tied up approach between the brands and the government. The the rules around what constitutes Scotch whisky are, are legendarily very tight, aren't they, Blair? I mean, do you think mm -hmm. there, there should be some scope to relax these now and kind of you know allow a bit of greater experimentation? I think when I was younger, I would have said yes, but no, I'm going to say no. Um, I think part of it is that they are there for a reason to protect 
the integrity and the quality of Scotch whisky. And now that I've been fortunate enough to taste, you know, whiskies regularly from all around the world that don't have these rules necessarily in place, the quality is a bit all over the shop. Um, and I think that can be damaging to those particular areas that are making slightly inferior quality whiskey in my eyes because the rules are too loose and too lax. I mean, it's interesting when when new countries do start to make Scotch whiskey, uh, sorry, whiskey, a lot of them follow the Scotch whiskey regulations because they're seen as the kind of the golden rules of this is how you make a high quality whiskey regardless right. of of the climate and the environment but i think there's still even though they are as you say very strict and they are very strict and very tight i think there is still enough scope of innovation within them to find the loopholes and i've spent you know more time than i probably should reading the scotch whiskey regulations act 2009 um, and i'm sure you have as well fraser but um within that if you read the small print there's some really interesting points that i don't think have been even scratched and i'm not even going to share them with you because i think Ooh, i could right, be sitting right. on a few interesting concepts <laughs> there that, that are just they're not in the wording but it doesn't mean you can't do it. But, it does, but I would yeah. argue if I was to make the product that you could do it. So I think there's still room within it. And I think a lot of people do think they're unfairly strict. But I think that Scotch whiskey wouldn't be in the position it is now globally if it wasn't for that. Well, now now that lockdown is over, I have to tempt you out for a whiskey sometime, mm. see if I can get you to confess what some of these little potential loopholes might be. Maybe over a few drums. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. Now, you, you're still a, a relatively young man in an industry where a lot of the, the noise is traditionally made by middle-aged, middle-class white men. Do you think the Scotch whisky industry, industry needs to embrace greater diversity and should it also be working harder, do you think, to attract consumers outside its kind of usual target markets? I think much more work is still needed to be done. It's much better. I've seen a huge evolution in the last decade. Uh, it's definitely a much better, stronger place than it was. But there are still quite a few, I don't know how to put it lightly, dinosaurs, I guess, within the industry that are set in their ways and they're not going to change. And that's that happens in every industry, I guess. But it, it is becoming a lot easier um, to get in. It's, as I think I've told you before, Fraser, it's a very welcoming kind open door kind of industry i think compared to other sectors that are just not like that and i think it has had a past of being a little bit stuffy and white and middle-aged and male but that's definitely changing um, especially in the us and um, there's much more diversity and there's been a lot more active campaigns across the board uh, that are really showing the diversity of of scotch whiskey there's a fantastic uh, kind of grassroots campaign called our whiskey o-u-r whiskey which is about showcasing the whiskies for everybody um, and they, they every year they do a kind of annual kind of study or report to showcase you know across for example instagram how many brands have a mix of male and female drinkers in their adverts and what those kind of statistics are which kind of highlights the kind of current issues and how there needs to be more change but i mean just to kind of flag one example there's a fantastic campaign at the moment from glenmorangie company that is just a beautiful piece of uh, advertising that it shows full inclusivity all backgrounds, all types of people enjoying whiskey in lots of different ways. And that's that was a very, very exciting thing to see. I was kind of finally thinking at last, you know, companies are getting that whiskey is for everyone and that everyone should be welcome into it. I think what you did with well Whiskey Day was also a breath of fresh air, wasn't it? Because it 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 made whiskey more accessible and you did a lot of stuff around whiskey cocktails uh, and, and it attracted as a result a you know a much younger audience and more diverse audience than would normally be the case thank you yeah i mean i think that came from our time running the the malt whiskey society in aberdeen 
um, you know, we had a really strong 50-50 split of, uh, you know, guys and girls coming along. Um, this was back in 2008, 9, 10, which was really unusual, you know, for brands. They were so used to just speaking to rooms full of kind of white middle-aged men. And we were inviting the same brand representatives to come to speak to us. And we were in our 20s and we were kind of a 50-50 split. I mean, we had lots of examples of actually kind of girlfriends dragging the boyfriend to come to the whiskey tasting um, because it was the girlfriend that really liked the whiskey. Um, and that was really, you know, quite unusual at that time and originally the brands weren't interested in us because they didn't see a potential in us but then quickly they realized that if they start speaking to us at a younger age um, then they can have you know loyal customers for life and that was something I tried to incorporate into the kind of work that I was doing in the early stages of World Whiskey Day and then you very you know graciously stepped in to help kind of continue that and you kept that ethos and, and kind of mantra behind making it welcome and open and using cocktails and everybody's welcome basically was the main feeling. Absolutely. And moving on to another topic, there's a lot of coverage in the media these days about whiskey being a good investment option. And I, I know that you've got some quite strong views mm. on that. So, uh, you know, fire away. So it has kind of been, there's been a history of this basically on and off for the past couple of decades where companies have seen that whiskey has been popular. They've popped up, made a very quick buck selling casks to people that don't maybe fully understand the complexities of holding duty suspended goods. And then they've packed up and vanished. And then people have been left with perhaps the wrong documentation or the cask maybe never existed to begin with. And I wrote an article which came out earlier this year in a magazine called Cask and Still magazine. And that has kind of picked up a bit of a debate around this, which appeared in the Sunday Times and the Daily Mail and Forbes and, and various other places to highlight that I've noticed in the past couple of years, I've been monitoring a few of these companies through Companies House and, and various other kind of ways I've been doing due diligence on them for quite a number of years. And it's come to this kind of crunch point now where there's every month I'm receiving more information about new companies that have literally just been registered with people that have no connections or background or understanding at all of Scotch whiskey selling investments at overinflated prices at like, you know, five, six times the market value of what that cask could be worth. So someone who buys it will never, ever be able to achieve a return on investment unless someone more naive comes along and pays even more. So it's just this perpetuating train crash that I think will happen if we're not careful. And especially because a lot of these companies, without getting too technical, are actually not selling, in my view, the correct documents that come with the investment in the cask. So that someone will be it'll be very, very hard for someone to exit these positions. Um, so it's something I've been I've been working quite closely on with quite a few others. And there are things in process to address this. Um, but a lot of these people are crooks, genuinely. You can find out that by Googling them. Um, and it's a shame that so many people are getting swept up in, you know, basically cold calling uh, or Facebook advertising or Instagram adverts guaranteeing these ridiculous, you know, 586% return on investment. Nothing is going to give you a 586% return on investment guaranteed. It's too good to be true. And yeah, I can I could go on for hours about this, Fraser, but I think there's a major issue here and I've highlighted it and I'm glad that the debate is now kind of opening the can of worms. That's interesting. And I mean, obviously there are um, plenty of legitimate brokers as well. And this is, mm -hmm. you know, terrible for them uh, if they're, they're tarred with the same brush. Yeah, and I mean, I could be accused of being a bit hypocritical because I have a boutique brokerage that I run, but I'm just concerned that, you know, I'm in whiskey for the long game and have been for over a decade now. I'm not going to change and jump ship suddenly. Um, I'm worried that myself and, you know, my industry peers that are in the same position, we're going to be the ones left to pick up the pieces. And we're already, you know, every week I'm getting messages from people that have been basically conned who have paid huge figures for casks that are not worth 
that amount of money at all and they're mm. really in very difficult positions and you know this could be their life savings or it could be their inheritance that they're going to pass on to their grandkids and I've tried my best to help as many of these people as I can but it's, it's very very difficult and I'm, I'm worried also about the long-term industry reputation of this if this kind of spiraled out of control and it is on the cusp of that there could be a much much wider damage to the reputation of Scotch whiskey. Now Blair, prior to the pandemic crisis, you travelled the world a lot. Uh, and so I'm kind of interested how you think Scotland, the brand, is now viewed overseas. And how do you think also the Scottish business culture is viewed in other parts of the world? It's a really interesting diaspora, I think, that we have. And I think we're very lucky. I, I lived for a while in Spain, as I mentioned, and also in China. And there's a really lovely kind of expat scene, I guess, that you can if you want to tap into. Um, and I think Scotland seems to just have this amazing way of kind of covering the world. Um, you know, I think we've done that for generations, you know, of people who were entrepreneurs traveling around the world selling their wares. And Scotch whiskey is a great early example of that. Um, but I think nowadays it, it does have a very strong positive image. But I think there's still just so much untapped potential in brand Scotland. There's so many classic miss opportunities that the likes of some organisations have had. I've got to be careful what I say now. <laughs> but I, I do think there's so much potential here. And, you know, I've, I've been to Scotland Week and I've, in New York and I, I've been to various kind of Scottish government events, embassies and consulates around the world. Um, and I think that it's it's interesting to see how people who haven't been here think of us. And, you know, when I was travelling a lot, you know, I'd get into the back of a taxi at an airport somewhere and the driver would always say, oh, where have you come from? And I would say Scotland. And then I'd say nine times out of ten, the first thing they'd always say is, ah, Scotland, whiskey. You know, it has this, like, intrinsic connection um, more than, you know, kilts or haggis or cabers or all these other cliches that you can think of. It seems to really have done that and I think it's because Scotch whiskey has been in you know the four corners of the world for such a long time it's really cemented its place and I do find it funny I, I remember years ago at a conference meeting someone who was from um visit New Zealand and he was saying how you know he would absolutely do anything to have a product or a brand like Scotch whiskey to be able to market and you know I, I think it's true I think there's a lot that could be done from these organizations um and it's because Scott Scotland and the organisations connected to it sometimes have a kind of, as we touched on earlier, this kind of awkward relationship between promoting alcohol and not promoting alcohol. And I think that's why it's in this funny place. But globally, I think Scotland has a good reputation, I'd like to say, but I think there's much more that can be done. So, Blair, now it's time to ask you five quick questions. Are you ready? Mm -hmm, I'm ready. If someone has never tried whiskey before or never really taken to it, where's a good place to start? The best thing I'd say is try two whiskies at the same time. So then you can compare whiskey A and whiskey B, and then you can see, oh, this one's a little bit more fruity or smoky or whatever, and then you can start travelling more in that direction, if that makes sense. But my main advice there is drink two whiskies rather than one, so you can try and compare and contrast them. Sounds great. Two for the price of one. Yeah. Um, Favourite whiskey cocktail? I'm going to be very boring here and just say I love a whiskey highball, which is just, you know, whiskey and, and ginger ale or whiskey and soda water. It's just very refreshing and it just is a great drink. Sounds good for a summer's evening like we have this mm -hmm. tonight. Um, what is one of the greatest myths about whiskey? That you have to follow a very specific rule book about how you can and cannot drink it. And it's very frustrating and needs to get ripped up immediately. You should drink it however you want. Absolutely. Now, who's the whiskey writer that you most look up to? I, I've got to say Charlie McLean. 
um, who I've read many of his books um, when I was first getting into whiskey. And now I'm happy to say that, you know, I do get to see him very regularly and we've got a very close relationship and he's been, been very, very helpful at kind of giving me pointers when I was kind of first setting off on my own writing. Um, and yeah, I look up to him in a big way. And if you could only take one bottle of whiskey to a desert island, what would it be? I'd have to take a bottle of Johnny Walker Black Label because I think it's very versatile. I enjoy it neat. I enjoy it on the rocks. I enjoy it with soda water and ginger ale. Um, and if it was a self-replenishing bottle, I'd be very happy with that <laughs> if that was all I got to drink. Well, maybe, you know, the way technology is going, maybe that's the next thing that's going to happen. Self-replenishing mm. bottles. That sounds great. Now, I, do, I just want to ask you one thing, which I always tend to ask in these interviews. If you could give one piece of advice to the young Blair Bowman announcing the first ever World Whiskey Day, what would it be? Don't be scared of collaborating with others. I think that would be the thing that I would say. I was very, very cautious. I knew I was sitting on something big. And I, I think you might remember that I made everyone sign NDAs. Um, I was very cautious that someone would jump on it and run off with it and I would be kind of left in the dark. So that put me off for a long time doing anything with anyone. And I was a one-man band for the first few years um, of running that. And I think that would be the biggest piece of advice I'd say is collaborate. And now, actually, in my own business, everything I do is incredibly collaborative and I really enjoy and thrive off collaborations on projects. So that would be the piece of advice I would say. Blair Bowman, it has been a pleasure to talk to you, as ever. Thanks very much for, for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Fraser. Great to hear from Blair. By the way, World Whiskey Day next year will be on the 21st of May, and you can find out more at worldwhiskeyday.com. If you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe to the series? Simply search for Scottish Business Network on Apple Music, Spotify, or any of the usual podcast platforms. Bye for now. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.